I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Today, we're joined by Phil Daniels, co-founder of Springbuck, a health analytics solution for mid to large size employers. Springbuck has experienced rapid growth and is known for its focus on culture and talent. The business grew out of the Healthiest Employers Award that Phil and his partner Rod started many years ago to celebrate healthcare. The program grew nationally, and today over 18,000 companies have participated. Phil refers to himself as an entrepreneur that has never built software and didn't have any previous experience working with venture capitalists. He had customers and a market, but didn't have a product to sell. So he pushed himself out of his comfort zone and began to raise capital. His leadership story, as you'll hear, is built from his values. With a lot of humility, he focuses on serving others from his business partnership to customers, to team members, service is the thread to building a business that lasts. Check it out. I'm a little atypical in my journey. I, I didn't set out to become, you know, kind of a tech co-founder. And I, and I think Rod, uh, my partner, would say really the same thing. We, um, you know, we started with an idea to, to solve a problem with healthiest employers. And that, that really grew and provided market insight into a larger problem and a larger opportunity, which became Springbuck. But I would love to tell you that, you know, 11 years ago when we had the idea in 2009 to launch Healthiest Employer as an awards program, that it that really had an enterprise software business in mind. Uh, frankly, we didn't. Uh, you know, we, we really had the, the humble approach of, of trying to recognize companies that were investing in healthcare. And, and we knew that, that healthcare was a big deal and the, the healthcare cost was a big deal to, to employers in America. And they didn't have a solution to fight it. But more importantly, there was an idea of, of having a community around these employers to share best practices and challenges and ideas. And really the, the notion that, in, in, and you see this in your HR world, that so many of these companies just are open to sharing these ideas and they're in these challenges together. So we wanted to build that platform and community uh, by having an award program that, that would then give back the knowledge and sort of frontline view that we had inside the leading companies in America. So when we started this in, again, 2009 in Indianapolis, went to the Indianapolis Business Journal, and I think the third or fourth time they said, yes, they'll, they'll let us do this, only if we would raise the sponsorship dollars. And, and so Rod and I, you know, have only ever been sort of self-starting entrepreneurs. So we took the challenge and, and exceeded the, the sponsorship goal in year one, filled the room in the hotel conference. And, you know, looking back, I think we had five or 600 people in attendance, nearly 150 companies applied. And I think that was kind of our first, you know, kind of aha moment. We, you know, non-verbally looked at each other and thought, while this corporate wellness and community thing is for real, maybe there's something here. And in short order, you know, we really started to get some demand and, and request to, to launch the program, this thing called Healthiest Employer, in multiple cities outside of Indianapolis. And that was never on the roadmap. I, I would love to love to tell you that that it was really intentional and we had the plan, you know, kind of buttoned up and ready to grow it. But it really was built for kind of the indie community and quickly, quickly just the demand took us you know, across the country. So fast forward to today, you know, that program is now in, in over 40 U.S. cities. I always jokingly say if there's a football team there, there's likely a healthiest employer program. Now, side note, that that joke does not play well in St. Louis, uh, where they lost their football team uh, a couple of years ago. But nonetheless, it grew. And then over time, you know, this was when the, you know, the General Electrics and General Motors and Sony's and, you know, Nike's and Boeing's and Dell computer 
I mean, these were enterprise big name employers that were applying for the program. And just time after time, we in, in reviewing the applications and what they were doing around corporate health and engagement, we just saw a gaping hole that not only was data the problem, getting it, that was kind of the first step, you know, getting all the disparate data around that employee health, but actually doing something with it, having the direction to know, you know, how to measure if programs were working, who to even hire to help, you know, from a vendor perspective to really move the needle in the population and then to really deliver relevant care and programming at the right time. That was really the seedling of, of Springbuck in that 2013 or 14 time frame. You know, Rod and I had both sold our other practices at that time. So we were left with with this asset, you know, of healthiest employer, but but it was really stripped of any sort of business model. It was it was again more of an altruistic community and award building program that was never really built as a monetization engine. So it was it was really just an evaluating the data we collected from these leading employers across the country that led us to Springbuck to say, hey, I think there's something here. I think there's a market opportunity to help employers like these really solve this um, this healthcare engagement, this healthcare you know investment problem that that they're facing in their population. Yeah. So there was a gap in the market clearly that you you filled, and it's so interesting that you hadn't set out necessarily initially to do that. It's like the market informed you of what the need was. Yeah, I always say we're we're kind of the opposite startup. Like we had the the inverted problem that most startups face. You start with an idea and you're usually pretty clear about, you know, who your audience is, but you have a product. You have something to pitch and talk about and hopefully sell. We were opposite in many respects. We had the audience first and we had this enormous platform. I mean, I remember the days when we had when opt-in email was a was a, you know, key item on the scoreboard. I mean, we had something like 20 or 22,000 HR directors that were opted in the healthiest employer. Again, all these companies coming to us for research and applying, but we had nothing to sell them. So it was it was an interesting problem that it was opposite of everything else. We built sort of the champions in market and the the fans out there around around the brand, but we really had nothing to, to kind of monetize or sell, you know, you know, through the business. So that was where really Springbuck was a was a wonderful solution for that. Yeah, that's that's such such a great story. Well, you know, on on this show, we you know we focus on leaders and pivotal moments in their career. So I'm really curious to dig into through all of that growth, what you learned about yourself. You know, are are there any pivotal moments that pop out, Phil, of situations that really taught you a lot about your leadership and have helped shape who you are as a leader? I think there's two. You know, I think this is the first business that uh, that I've ever had a, a co-founder or partner uh, in with Rod, and I and and same for him. I mean, he he was a you know kind of a self-driving entrepreneur as well in, in many respects and several times over. And so we came together to do this, and I think that that it requires a lot of maturation, a lot of patience, and you know, compromise. I think is a good word. Where we were really lucky in the sense that we had complementary skill sets and very open relationship in the sense that we were we were friends first and had other business dealings outside of healthiest employer. So we kind of knew what we were getting into with each other. But I think just looking back over that 11 or 12 year journey where we kind of started the conversation today, I'd be remiss to say if the, the co-founder relationship and friendship is, has been pivotal for me. Um, that's been a good lesson just that when you're building a business to have kind of that, you know, think of it as a co-pilot or a friend and, you know, it can be a lonely place. Um, you know, I think, you know, you can come home and talk about business issues to a degree, but there's there's a shelf life for that. And I don't know that others in your even in your own organization really feel sorry for, you know, for maybe top leaders because there's a perception that they haven't figured out and that that they shouldn't have problems in their own right. So I think having that, you know, kind of that sidecar relationship 
uh, was probably the most pivotal, you know, lesson throughout this journey. And it's still going, right? We, we have a big ambition of, of much more to come for us, but, uh, but I think having that, having that partner has been different uh, for both of us. And I think it's been rewarding. Well, and, and no doubt there, there are a lot of things that go into a successful partnership. Talk a little bit about that. Like as you look at the relationship you've had with Rod over these many years now, what do you attribute this success to? I think it's shared values. Um, you know, we, we wear ours in our sleeve. Um, you know, I think, you know, we will probably get into some culture building initiatives here as well today, but, but that, you know, from day one in the business that there's been some things that have just been non-negotiable, you know, things like, you know, we don't, we don't gossip, we don't blame shift, we don't politicize, and we don't do that in our own behaviors and, and certainly don't want our team to do that. So I think just knowing that, knowing that you have a shared partner that, that acts in the same way that's consistent, that's predictable and responsible in the right way, um, really sets the tone for the business. So I think we've, we've never had to come to about for any sort of behaviors or values or decisions that were antithetical to what we wanted to build in the business, right? So I think just having that, that shared foundation um, has, been, has been enormously helpful. Well, and no doubt, like there have been things that have popped up that you didn't agree on or ideas that conflicted or so I, I suspect your shared values were helpful in leading through those tension times. Yeah, you're right. I think that that becomes kind of a, a guiding light or North Star or whatever metaphor we can use. But, we, you know, if you have a shared vision for what the business is and what it's really kind of the, the purpose in the market and, and what we're trying to drive in the future, then then the, the bumps and decisions along the way just support that. Um, well, I think the other benefit um, or lesson for me is just having that that sort of pre-working relationship. So Rod and I have known each other now for, you know, nearly 15 years. So even before Springbuck and Healthiest Employers, I think we knew, again, kind of what what we were getting into probably if we were being honest probably know <clears throat> each other's strengths and blind spots and and frankly we have complementary skill sets which has been really really helpful so i think there are many times where we just have that inherent trust to know that you no know, rod's handling that or phil's handling that and we don't need to come together and, and talk about it particularly in the early days when you're just running so so fast you don't have time to check in on everything i think we had the confidence to know that there were certain lanes in the business where our expertise were we're really being best utilized. Um, and, and I don't think you'd have that on day one if you didn't already have a, some sort of working friendship or relationship. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, and that predictability that you talked about, that's so important in building trust and and being able to determine who's going to do what and in what way. And are, are, there any, are there any particular moments that you can think of um, through this journey that you all have had that that really stand out to you as this was an important moment for our partnership. It tested our values or any, anything specific you could share? You know, I think, I think raising capital is, um, is a great proving ground for a lot of things. Um, I think values is one of them. Uh, relationships is another because it, you, you almost feel like you're in this tourniquet, right, where you have to pick a partner and, and there's all the terms and conditions and valuations. And uh, it's, it's a marriage of sorts. You know, when you take uh, an institutional funding partner, venture capital or private equity, you know, it, it is not a short-term relationship. Um, it's one that you're going to get, you know, incredibly intertwined and deep with. It becomes a reporting relationship. There's a ton of discipline and accountability around it. So I think for us, like th that was probably a good proof point for us to say, who do we want to have at the table with us? What values are important to us? And what kind of partner do we want to have? Not only for, you know, the next quarter, but you know, frankly, for the next eight or 10 years as we're, as we're building out this business. So it's very values-based. It sounds like it keeps going back to that. <laughs> And doesn't it, doesn't it always? Yeah. And I think we have the advantage, you know, just by virtue of the business and industry that we're in, when you say healthcare, there's automatically this 
altruistic or feel good, you know, moment. So I, th- I think, frankly, that's helped us in recruiting and retention. If you have, if you have an option to go help company A or company B, and if company B in this case is Springbuck and really is built around this vision of preventing disease with data, you know, that, that feels good, right? If you're going to work on, on something, you know, 40, 50 hours a week, why not, you know, put it towards something that's quote, making a difference, right? Or, or changing the world. So I think we've always had that, we've always had that healthcare advantage, that lever to know that when we come in every day, what we're working on, you know, really matters. It's not just enabling people to, to sell more stuff or, um, or, you know, a, a different business, business function. So I think we've always had that advantage. So that value to your point, has always been kind of the core and really non-negotiable. We've, you know, we set the vision, I think when we had, I mean, laughably, you know, two or three people, you know, in, in the office, um, you know, in the very, very early days that we knew culture was important. We knew a driving vision and mission were important. And so we set it, you know, arguably early, but, you know, what, one thing I think we're proud of is that it's never changed. We've never had that, that magical or classic pivot where goodness, we're in the wrong market we're we have the wrong customers. We're trying to solve a different problem. I mean, really from day one, We've had that uncommon path where, you know, what we've set out to do hasn't changed. Well, and your belief in it, I hear that as well, right? You, you were certainly convicted and there's something here. And so let's, let's see what happens. And I, and I suspect there were naysayers along the way that, oh, what are you doing? And how, how did you respond in those situations? Yeah, I think um, the, the naysayers is interesting. We we're in a market here in Indianapolis, you know, this is like square in the Midwest where there's a lot of just nicety and a lot of politeness in business. And I'm guilty of it as well. So I think when in the early days and mind you, you know, Rod and I had never raised capital and we'd always bootstrapped everything we'd, we had done previously. And so the idea of asking for money and, and trying to articulate, you know, this, this business and forecast what the future holds, which is largely a guess, right? You put numbers on a pro forma and, and show a graph that goes up to the right and you hope you hit it at, at that stage. But, you know, to our face, I felt like everybody was really positive. Like, yeah, healthcare is a big deal. I love what you guys are doing and, and, and you know, keep me posted. Just, But I think the underlying feel for us was that, you know, we just, we weren't getting some some early traction from a lot of the, really a lot of the kind of name brand uh, investors or investment arms in town. And some of the feedback we received was just that, you know, we, we weren't technical enough, you know, that I, I remember one investor in particular very, very early said, well, I, I would never make an investment in two founders that weren't technical, that aren't actually building the software. You know, you, you guys clearly know the market, you probably are good at sales, you know, the story, you have domain expertise, but but you're going to have to hire the CTO type function, right? The, the chief technical person or somebody head of engineering to actually build the software, which is, which is the core of the business. And so we really took that to heart. And I think it, um, I think it was probably hurtful at first, but now looking back, like I, I think it actually has helped us build a business to understand the market. And, you know, the one thing that, that has always, I think been a hallmark of Springbuck is that we've been customer first. Um, even today in the business for a younger company, we have a formal customer function where we look at how do we help our customers grow? How do we train them? How do we enable them? How do we ensure they have the tools they need to be successful? You know, which, which is usually behaviors of a later stage company. So, you know, the point is, I think the technical piece is huge and we've been, you know, we've been really fortunate to kind of to bolster around us some, some incredibly bright technical folks along the way to help. But, but I think our keen understanding of the market and the problem and the customer uh, really has been a driving force for the growth. Absolutely. And that's a driven decisions on what talent to bring in and how to shape the business. 
When I asked the question around kind of pivotal moments in the journey, the partnership with Rod was the first thing. And you said there were two. What What's the other one? I, I think the other one is just raising capital. So again, these were, you know, and, and again, I'm speaking for Rod today and I, I hope he'll agree, but, you know, these are two guys who uh, really had never done it before, you know, not only built software, but, but with other people's money. So, you know, I think, I think it was all new to us and, you know, getting getting out of our comfort zone and familiarity was was different. Um, we had to be kind of bold and brave, and and of course, it took a lot of just research and you know, both talking to folks who had done it before, and and we're fortunate in Indianapolis that again the the nicety of the community is everyone's willing to help and share their experiences and give us advice. So that was a large part of it. But then the other part was just kind of hardcore research. I mean, we read a ton and, you know, we're on a lot of planes just visiting, you know, venture capital firms, you know, largely on the West Coast and East Coast and just trying to get an education quickly, you know, knowing that to grow the business and uh, beyond kind of a lifestyle function, we really needed some outside help. And that, not just the capital. I think that's, that's a big part of it to hire folks and to build a product. But frankly, we were looking for kind of the wisdom and advice that comes with the right venture partner, somebody who knows the market, somebody who's already working with complementary companies or, or employers to help us, even from a sales standpoint, someone to help us in recruiting the right talent. So there was a host of things that we felt like were new to us and, and really just trying to understand what how do you pick the right uh, venture partner, uh, you know, to really, to really grow for the future. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of learning along the way there. What were your biggest, what are your biggest takeaways from that part of the experience? I would say, to be honest, um, and that sounds funny, um, but I, you know, in the venture world, you know, I've heard even people kind of refer to it as funny money where, you know, there's outrageous valuations. and, And I think, you know, when you're presenting, I kind of mentioned the the graph up to the right, you know, a bit earlier. Of course, you always want to paint like this tremendously positive story and that you're going to change the world and you're going to, you know, go to IPO in a year and be a billion dollar company like Uber. And, you know, everybody wants to be the Uber of something. And so you, you know, so you pitch this wonderful story. But the reality is there's there's things that maybe you haven't figured out or there's upcoming challenges. So throughout every round of financing, you know, perhaps to a fault, you know, we have always been incredibly transparent and upfront and honest about any of those warts in the business. And um, our philosophy has always been you're going to find out anyway. Um, So if there's a customer issue or uh, if we built the wrong team or made the wrong decision, whatever we we may have done as leaders, we're not going to hide it. And I think that that lesson has paid off um, to the tune of you just our investors. I think trust us. They've always participated in future rounds to kind of to see us grow. And when they sit around the board table, they know what we're telling them is authentic and true. And we've just we've kind of left the gamesmanship out of it that you're investing in in us as much as you are the business. So there's always this horse and the jockey argument. You know, I would hope they would say the same thing that that they know that when we deliver you know reports and information and board meetings and updates on the business that it's truthful and that they they know that we'll we'll give them a yellow or red flag well ahead of of it being an issue in the business. So, so I think that's the first one just just being a, and it sounds funny but we all want to present this wonderful story of growth but but I actually think you get you get rewarded for being honest and realistic about the business. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of the the um the phrase if when you argue with reality you will lose 100% of the time, right? So <laughs> That's right. just being really clear on what is, what's what's real. And that goes back it goes back to your values, doesn't it? I mean that it's again that's a trust building behavior which was part of what strengthened you and Rod, so not surprising it's what's it's what strengthened your relationship with VCs. Yeah, I think that's well said. And then I, I would even go beyond that. I, I hope that that's what strengthens relationships with customers. So 
our uh, our goal from the beginning, and this isn't painted on the wall or you know on any of our our team's T-shirts or anything, but we've always said we wanted to be an influencer. You know, not only in in the Indianapolis employment community, but but really just nationally. As we are in this healthcare and HR space, working with leading employers, we want to be an influencer. We want to be seen as a brand that is doing something different, that is of course innovative and solving problems, but but also is values based. That is someone that uh, is collaborative, that you know cares about your business, and you know kind of just checks the boxes of somebody you'd actually want to spend time with. So we've always talked about being that influencer in town. That but that when you when you think of Indianapolis and whether you're thinking of healthcare or, or you're thinking of the technology and software space, like who comes to mind as you know this solid sterling company? And, and we've always wanted that you know to be us. And I think we have a lot of work to do. I think we're we're really young and kind of our cycle, but but that's always been something that drives us to kind of lead with values and, and act in a way that, that hopefully not just investors and, and you know, our, our team can see, but but the customers and market can see as well. Yeah. Well, you've experienced quite a bit of growth. Like, I know I'd love to learn a little bit more about the, the, the trajectory and where you all are now. I mean, so 2009, we've gotten to hear a little bit about your journey and your key lessons as a leader through the the growth process. Tell us a little bit about today. So going into a new decade, such a strong foundation. What's it look like? For us, it, it's focusing on our, as I mentioned, kind of this customer function. We, you know, we largely go to market through, you know, benefit brokers and consultants, which, which you know that market really well, Andrea. So for us, it's, it's doubling down on those, those partnerships and just understanding how we can continue to help them, you know, grow and, and prosper within Springbuck and beyond. So really just pouring into them and giving them all the enablement they need and the resources they need and the team they need to be successful. So that, that's where we've seen a lot of growth. You know, we've, uh, we've been just so fortunate growth and team. Now we're, uh, you know, nearly 140 employees, uh, you know, most of which are in Indianapolis, but starting to build out kind of a national field, you know, function as well. And then from a revenue standpoint, I mean, we've grown, you know, over 100%, you know, nearly every year. So it's just been just been that that fun success story where, you know, all we've done is doubled, um, you know, every year. And of course, the numbers get harder to do that. But, uh, but we just, and again, I, I just, just constantly say, in many ways, feel like we're just getting started that, you know, we've been so fortunate from the beginning that we we had a product and just a ton of tailwind in the market that, you know, healthcare costs are rising. You know, HR leaders are, are really fed up with with understanding how to interpret this data, and they need help from their vendor ecosystem. So we just had all these forces in our favor. So I'd love to say that we just had it figured out, and and you know we were the best product at the best time. I, I think, frankly, we've just had a lot of tailwind on our side. So market timing is is a big part of that, and we've just been really fortunate to to kind of catch that wave. Yeah, well, and it's a complicated world that you're simplifying, right? You're you're making it digestible and understandable for customers and coming alongside them, helping them. I mean, that's that's the core of of what you're doing. So the the culture that you and Rod have built with the great leaders that you've brought in, I know you have really strong HR talent, right? That you've engaged to line up with the cult with the values that you espouse and want to live out and. Talk a little bit about the culture that you're building and the intentionality around that. Yeah, the the primary core value of ours is when together, and that that suggests a lot of things. Uh, most notably, it's this collaboration. So in this early or mid stage, uh, you know, cycle that we're in, we have to work across the line. So whether it's marketing and sales being aligned, whether it's you know marketing and product being aligned, whether it's engineering and our data teams being aligned. Just across the business, we need transparency and we need everybody to understand the common goal of working together. 
and helping each other. So, you know, even be willing to sacrifice kind of their own, their own good or their own goal, you know, for the, for the betterment of the business um, in some cases. So that's a big, big deal to us, this idea of collaboration and winning together. And what's fun about that value is that it extends outside of the business. So it, you know, we've talked a little bit about partners and customers today that win together mindset drives a lot of how we, how we serve our clients and how we serve our customers. So, you know, one of my favorite kind of stats from the business is, you know, over the last 18 months, over one third of our new features and, and releases within the software, you know, within the product have come directly from customer feedback. So we have, you know, really built a way to listen to them, to get their share of voice and, and to really just make sure we're capturing their needs and, and what they need to be successful. And that's winning together. So that's not just Springbuck, you know, closing the sale and moving on. It's all of us really trying to to be bought in and, and solving this larger, you know, prevention and healthcare problem uh, together. So I think that's the first one. Yeah. So that data point around a third, a third of the changes coming from customer feedback. I mean, that's that's such a great example of that value, isn't it? It is. So I think it's it's really um, you know it's really easy as you know, as entrepreneurs or as a growing company to to think that you have the answers and you have this this thing called a roadmap and direction and you think you have this pulse on the market and you always want to be innovating and staying ahead of competitors. But but I think the, the temptation is not to listen to customers in the market. So I think that that's one area where we've we've really improved over the last last couple of years is to to understand, you know, the customer voice and to really be an advocate for them to say what what do you need to be successful? What are your customers asking for? when you're thinking of, of delivering Springbank. So it's, um, it's been a, a really key part of our growth. How are you, um, how are you intentionally attracting talent that aligns with those values? I think there's the, there's the kind of standard operating things that we need to be doing, which is getting recognition for culture and, and for building a business that's people first. So, you know, things like best places to work and culture of the year. And, you know, we were featured in Entrepreneur Magazine last year, which was uh, which was wonderful, um, you know, from a recruiting standpoint. And I think we were we were really kind of shy about getting that attention early on. Really felt like we needed to to build something and have some stuff substance before kind of hitting the circuit and, and being talked about. So I think that that's one area where we've been really, um, you know, really kind of resourceful, and, and I think that helps drive some some at least awareness of who Springbuck is and that culture matters. You know, the other part of it is just invest, investing heavily in our, what we would call our people team. So, you know, you've met some of the leaders we have in, in that function and really built out a team to deliver an experience that matters to employees. So everything from, you know, what's the experience for applying for a job for the first interview that you have? And we have this thing called a culture call where somebody from a different function will actually sort of pre-screen and have a conversation with the candidate, you know, not not asking tactical functional questions about day-to-day responsibilities, but just understanding what values are important to them and, you know, what their, you know, kind of career goals are and objectives and just understand them kind of as, as a human first. Um, so I think that's been an important step. And then really have mapped out that, you know, the popular word in today's economy is customer experience, but we really think of employee experience as well. So have really doubled down on understanding what that journey is, everything, again, from the candidate experience to onboarding, what's day one look like, what's day two and week two look like. And, you know, now even moving into quarterly sort of, you know, kind of micro burst reviews, um, you know, just to give feedback along the way at the, the fast pace that we're moving. And then also just recognition has been a, a huge part of, of building that employee experience. So, you know, we have a lot of sort of peer-to-peer voting and peer recognition to you know, to really highlight just the great work that our team is doing and emerging leaders um, that, that they're becoming. So I think, 
you know, the answer to the recruiting question, I think actually starts, you know, kind of from the inside out. So if we, if we deliver, you know, a, a noteworthy experience and, and a great home for the people that we have, they will become our best recruitment engine. And, and we've seen that time and time again, where just the, the current employee referrals to, to bring in, you know, former colleagues or friends or classmates, you know, outside of our immediate reach, you know, the circle that we may not have access to has been um, has been just enormously enormously successful. So they already have a tie to the business and have kind of a voice inside that, that knows them. Yeah. And they, they, you know, happy employees create happy customers, don't they? So the employee experience directly impacts that customer experience that's so critical to your business as the core of your business. So if you could, um, you've given us a lot of great insight today, Phil. The thing I think the throughout all of the thoughts and the insights that you've shared, the thing that I just keep hearing over and over is how your values have driven your relationships, your decisions, your leadership. You know, this is a values-based example for sure. I also hear, I hear so much humility in your story as well. And that'll be a hard one for you to talk about. <laughs> but no, no doubt you see that too in how you and Rod have, have built this business. I, I appreciate you saying that. I um, I would argue we have a lot of work to do. Again, we, we feel like we're we're really just getting started, and have had a lot of just a lot of folks help us along the way. Whether it's been you know uh, investment from venture capital firms that believe in us uh, when maybe nobody else would have at an early stage, to frankly a lot of our leaders and and managers and team members who joined uh, a fledgling startup, you know, and, and left some risk on the table, right, by leaving a very stable environment. Uh, to come join, you know, this, this wild startup. So we, it, it's certainly not a project of, of Rod or, or me. I, I think it's, um, we just had a lot of help along the way, you know, in that journey. And I think the humility is that we, you know, we get a little, you know, fatigued and tired just by kind of the over celebration of, you know, some, I, I think startup is just, it's probably a misnomer. And I think a lot of people want to hold on to that label and, and kind of fantasize it and, and overly celebrate things like fundraising and, in hitting some some early milestones, which I think those are absolutely critical to celebrate as an internal team, and, and we've always tried to mark those milestones and and what we call seismic events to to commemorate those um, as a, as a group. But we've just always, and, and, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, but we've just always kind of taken the approach that you know when when the market wants to talk about us, they'll talk about us, and and that you know that it's it's better to be to to let someone else praise you than to praise yourself. Um, that's always been our approach, and even you know specifically. We closed, a, you know, a sizable Series C round here just in, in recent weeks and did not issue a press release, did not have the mayor or governor out to do a jobs announcement, you know, just really kind of took the approach that the funding is not the high five moment. It's a, it's a pivotal part of our growth and, and we need it and we need, you know, just the affirmation from our, from our investors to, to continue to double down on us. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful accomplishment. And our team celebrated it, but we just didn't seek, you know, sort of the front page news about it because we thought, you know, it's what we do with the capital and being good stewards of it and achieving the goals and doing what we're said we're going to do. That's the high five moment. And so, I, you know, it's not it's not that we're against the way anybody else does it. It's just for us, we've just always kind of held our cards a little closer and we just want to have our heads down. We want to execute. We want to build a remarkable company that's noteworthy, you know, for the right things. It's noteworthy for performance and for employee engagement and for employee maturation and development and leadership. And we want that reputation first, um, you know, not just for kind of the vanity effect. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, it's serving your customers. Like that's your high five moment, doing great work. 
Yeah, stewardship is a con- concept that Rod and I speak about a lot, you know, just in the sense of we feel like we're stewards of our team. You know, we, you know, no entrepreneurial book, even in the early days, years ago, reading like the E-Myth and, you know, everything that's been published since, you know, no one ever tells you the burden that that's on an entrepreneur or founder's shoulder that sure, it's exciting to build a product and the hire team and to, to continue to amass a company. But you also have the responsibility in our case of 140 families and, or, or certainly 140 individuals, you know, uh, rely heavily on our direction and our strategy and our, our executive decision making. And no one ever tells you that. That's not in literature. Um, so for us, we, we truly take that responsibility that we're stewarding, you know, the, at least the, the career lives and professional lives of, of the folks who have chosen to invest with us. And then certainly stewarding the dollars. And then to your point, you know, stewarding the, you know, the customers that have believed in us from the beginning and, and continue to believe in us today. Yeah. Stewarding all of your stakeholders. Like that's your, that's your focus. And it goes back to your values, doesn't it? That's, that's your core value. That's who you are as a leader. Well, if you could go back to, to 2009 when all of this was starting and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Well, that's great. I would think patience, um, would have been a good virtue early on. Again, I and maybe that's impossible in kind of the high growth startup scene, but I we were moving so fast and again we're fortunate to have early success. I think there was a point where we just continually thought like it wasn't moving fast enough. So I, I remember, you know, in the early days or, you know, even year two, year three, the classic question everybody would ask Rod and me is, what keeps you up at night? You know, what's what are you really worried about? And we would always answer with pace. You know, the pace is, is worrisome. Like, can we keep up this growth? Can we achieve all of our goals? And, um, you know, can we move fast enough, frankly, because we just saw a tremendous window of opportunity in the market and it's still there today, but we have an opportunity to really go to move quickly and to do something big in our mind. And so the question was, can we do it fast enough? And the, the history has kind of proven that we did, you know, that, that I think we have had responsible growth and we've grown in the right way. But early on, we just, we really questioned if we were if we were achieving that. So I think I, I would advise myself, you know, years ago, just to be patient and to execute and you'll continue to see the markers of, of that achievement. Great advice. Thank you for that. Phil, if our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way is email. Um, so it's pdaniels at springbuck.com. Well, congratulations on your success and looking forward to see what Spring do, Springbuck does in the new year and the years ahead. So congratulations. And thank you so much for being on the show. All right. Thank you, Andrea. It was fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.